Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my buddy out there, Seth Robinson. Seth? Hey, what's up? I don't know. Gloomy day here, some sort of like, uh, my daughter's coming home from college tomorrow um, for her break. Strange COVID times, so they're sending them home much earlier than Thanksgiving week, and she'll be around for quite a bit, but she's going to continue to take classes while she's here for three weeks, including finals, um, doing them online. So it's, it's, it's been a very strange freshman first semester for her, but I'm excited to see her. So that's what's going on in my life. It's funny that you say, I don't know when I asked you what's going on, because I feel the same way. Like, I, I feel like last week, obviously, for a lot of people was just a total whirlwind and kind of felt good to get through that and be like, okay, now maybe things will settle down. But it did not feel like things settled down for me this week. Um, it's been another whirlwind. So. Yeah, well, I wasn't even going to bring up politics and what's going on with the election. But um, yeah, there's that. I'm hoping that in the next coming weeks, things uh, shake out. Yeah. Um, calmness would be good. That's, that's my watchword for today is it'd be just like nice that. things like would calm that. down in general. Zen. That's what I go with. Zen with a capital Z. Just mm. like everybody just, I've tried meditating and I, I can't do it. I'm too much of a nervous person, but um, I, I'm jealous of people who can. It seems like something that really helps people. But it, it it does help. Yeah, I'm I'm able to do it, but I, I can imagine uh, I, I can imagine sitting next to you on a yoga mat and I'd be hearing you like start bouncing all over the place. And, oh yeah. Yeah, no, I can't settle down. I start hearing my heartbeat and then I start thinking about things and I don't know how you you make your brain devoid of all thoughts. I, I've tried. It's not mm. happening. Nope, not 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 cut out for that. So sadly. Well, another another reason that things are hopefully heading towards some calm is we've been working on a big project for the past couple of months, and it's done. Uh, we yeah. are launching today our IT industry outlook 2021. This is our big annual report where we try to take a look at the the year ahead, and a little harder to take that look at the year ahead this time around. But uh, I think we did it. It is it's out there on the website. The link will be in the show notes, and uh, we wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, this is the second year that we've done this prior to the year upcoming. So we've got the report out early in November versus waiting until January. And um, it, it's been a, a tricky year to predict and think about because everything is a bunch of moving parts right now. But I think, you know, I think we've got some solid information here. We took a look at how the channel is feeling about things in the year ahead. And we also took a look at how IT professionals are thinking about the year ahead, their predictions for all kinds of things between budgets and um, just their attitudes uh, in general about the marketplace and how things are going to go business-wise. And um, I think we got some good stuff here and I'm excited. Yeah. So why don't we give a few of the highlights here? We're not going to crawl through the whole thing, but a uh, few things I think jumped out at us in particular. Should we start with some of the trends that we had? Yeah, let's do some trends. Okay. So there's 10 trends in the report, um, and we'll just talk about a few of them. The first one in the report and the first one that I think we'll talk about today is 
getting at the you know the heart of the matter here, which is the all the disruption that we've had this year, mostly due to the pandemic, and the fact that the pandemic is not going to be done on December thirty first, uh, and so people are still going to be dealing with it going into next year. And so I think that as we've watched these discussions happening, people have talked a lot about when are we getting back to normal? What's the new normal? And I think as you and I were looking at it, what we came up with is there is no normal. Like we, we've entered a phase now that even after the dust settles a little bit with the pandemic, there's still a need for a lot of flexibility and there's a need for resiliency. And not, not only is there a need for those things, but there's the ability to build those things in. And, and we saw that happen this year as companies transitioned to remote workforce and, and changed their operations. And I think that's going to be the way of the future is you're, you're going to want to not get too stuck in a rut with any of your operations so that you can turn on a dime if the situation calls for it. I think the um, whole idea of flexibility and openness to change on a dime, as you said, is going to be the way that we're going to have to go forward when we're running businesses when we're doing uh, technology within our businesses. Uh, we've seen such disruption to how we all work in the past year that I think we need to be prepared for that. And the companies that are prepared for that are the companies that are going to be positioned best to do well. Uh, so those that have very um, standard procedures, which we always tout, it's good to have good procedures, but you need to have adjunct procedures and alternatives and things that you will be able to do in case of massive change or disruption that you aren't expecting. And I think companies do plan, at least good companies, do plan in some ways for that, but we can never foresee some of the craziness that, that happened this past year. Um, and, and, and so it's gonna be imperative going forward um, that companies have those plan B, plan C, plan D in place for how they're going to operate. And it's not just one thing I want to emphasize is that it isn't just in response to something negative, but being flexible just in your normal business operations. So thinking that this particular project or initiative that you uh, undertake was great and then realizing halfway through, and I think a lot of companies fail at this, realizing halfway through that this, this isn't working, but staying the course because damn, we, uh, you know, this was something we said was a big deal and we're going to do it uh, as opposed to pivoting and realizing that, you know, let's ditch it and start with something else. I think that's a, a good way to be able to go through uh, the business world. Yeah, I think that also relates back to the, the theme of the overall report, which we probably should have mentioned at the top, which is rebuilding for the future, that I, I think companies are going to be kind of caught between these two worlds, that they, they kind of have to put the pieces back together from this year. But there have been a lot of lessons learned, and, and this year happened as companies were beginning to go through digital transformation or whatever you would want to call it to kind of adapt to a new digital economy. And, and so whatever they put together on the other side is probably going to look different than it did before. Um, it's, they're not just gonna put the same thing back together. And, and so there is this rebuilding effort. There is kind of a getting back on their feet, but there, there's something new that has to get created. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think it's gonna take some sort of forward thinking for a lot of companies. 
and there's a lot of change afoot. I, one of the other trends that we have in our arsenal here for the report is just about how the dynamics within the business of technology, channel companies, those who sell with you know within the uh, tech industry, things have changed there as well. And I think that's going to cause a lot of um, upheaval. It's been going on slowly, but it's really taking taking charge now. And a lot of the firms that we track, a lot of our members, frankly, uh, who work in the the channel, so they're in between the supply chain, between the vendor and uh, the end customer. Uh, things have changed there, and that's one of the trends that we have this year is that um, the dynamics have become a lot more balanced between the manufacturers of technology, the vendors, and those who they work for them as partners to sell. And what's different, and a lot of this has to do with uh, cloud computing, a lot of this has to do with the rise in consulting, is that the days of the large technology companies um, like an IBM or an HP or a Cisco pretty much dictating how channel partners that work with them uh, are going to do business. And frankly, the way that partners looked at them as that's how we sell because we go to market touting our relationships with these vendors. That's changed as the actual solution that many customers end up buying is completely abstracted from them. They don't know that they're buying a, you know, this vendor's solution or that vendor's solution. And so what's happened is the leverage that many partners have, and I've written a piece about partner experience on this, but the leverage that a partner has now, a channel firm, um, is much greater. The things that they used to value within a partner program or used to value within a relationship with a vendor have changed dramatically. And I think that's only going to continue. Many of them have changed their business models. So they're not just selling a product, but they're really selling themselves. They're either managed services providers uh, or they're pure consultants. And so, so much has changed in that, um, in that relationship that they had with vendors um, that I see that this is another area as we just talked about where there's going to have to be a lot of flexibility. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we, we are seeing some change there. And I think some of it's related back to emerging technology. We, we've been having discussions throughout this year that, um, that we're starting to look at emerging technology a little bit differently. We're starting to see that it's actually components of solutions rather than standalone products on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties into what you're saying here that as solution providers or, or partners are, are, are getting away from that super direct connection to the vendors, they're starting to focus a little bit more on the overall solution rather than just delivery of a product or maintenance or monitoring or management of a product. And, and clients are, are asking for that, right? The end users are, are saying, I'm not just looking for a network here. I'm not just looking for a piece of software. I'm looking for a solution for my business and I'd like it to do these things. Uh, and I think that requires sort of a different type of technical acumen uh, and also probably a different business model if you're assembling solutions using different pieces. And I think it goes a little bit beyond just you know system integration. There's a little bit more creativity involved. There's a little bit more understanding of what it means to bring in artificial intelligence into a process and, and how you manage that and support it and how you can rely on the results that that might produce. 
So I, I think that that type of thing is is changing here, and and definitely expanding the, the types of, of businesses that we have in the IT industry and, and definitely changing these dynamics, like you say. No, I would agree. I've seen, uh, we've covered for a couple of years now, there's definitely been an increase in solution providers, partners, whatever you want to call them, creating their own intellectual property. By that, I mean, they are not developing their own products, but what we have seen is solution providers who create a repeatable process that you could literally call a piece of IP. And it's something that's their own and they built it and they present it to customers. Uh, in some cases, they may be building um, some, doing some sort of software development that bridges one thing to another, but it's repeatable and it's theirs. And, and that's the sort of IP that they offer. Um, so these are higher value types of uh, things that they're offering that their customers today and they are their own. And that's a big change from what you would consider a traditional reseller back in the day who just you know, sold the product, um, maybe tied it into other things, but it is not the same as creating something of worth coming out of your organization that you then disseminate among all your customers. And, and in fact, we even see instances where solution providers are, are charging for that. So, uh, you know, that little piece of IP is, you know, bringing them in some additional revenue. Um, so, yeah, the, it, the, it's really changing in the channel today. For sure. And, and one piece that's going to get pulled into any solution is, is the piece that's involved with the last trend or, or a couple of trends that we might highlight here, and that's security. Um, you're, you're not going to be able to build any kind of solution without focusing on security. And for a lot of companies, a lot of, a lot of uh, channel firms, security is becoming the solution. That, that is what they're building. And so on, on the one hand, I think we've talked about this a little bit before. We talked about this with James Stanger when he was here for Cybersecurity Month. I, I think that the overarching concept that will drive security moving into the future is this notion of zero trust and how that really captures all of the different things that you would do with modern security that are different from what you used to do in the secure perimeter mindset. I think that's the paradigm shift that we're talking about. And, and we've, we've talked about zero trust a little bit before, but again, it's basically the concept that you can't treat anything as trusted, whether it's traffic coming from inside your network or traffic coming from the outside. You kind of have to have all of these safeguards in place for both traffic and users um, and that gets very complicated very quickly. It can get very costly very quickly. And so companies have to do a lot more risk analysis and discovering what their appetite is for you know, cost versus perfect security or, or as close to perfect as they can get. Uh, and, and I think that that will be shaping the approach, um, both for the technology side and for the business side, as, as the technology side is talking to businesses and, and getting them to understand the processes that they should have in place and the investments that they're trying to make. Yeah, it's really overwhelming, isn't it? So the whole concept of zero trust was frankly, and I'm gonna be like showing my uh, stripes here, but it was um, fairly new to me just as a term uh, when we first started talking about this. Uh, and it's frankly a little depressing too that we can have zero trust. I try to think about it in my human life. Like if this is the way we all walked around the world um, with people, 
uh, it would be a sad thing. But unfortunately, this is kind of where we are. And from a security uh, perspective, uh, as it pertains to technology, uh, it's certainly something you need. And it's probably the most applicable thing to be doing today as opposed to some of the other things where you're just sort of trying to protect from the perimeter or watch your humans on the inside. You really need to be you know, doing all of it in a holistic way. And one of the things that we encourage uh, many of our channel firms to, to bring it back to that to be doing is that no matter what your specialty area is, security has to be a piece of it. It's not a separate thing that you outsource to somebody else. Customers are going to want to have a provider who works with them on whatever technology they happen to be working with them on, uh, who also has that umbrella set of security expertise around it. And then they can then relay this sort of zero trust kind of um, imperative to them and uh, I think that's super important for most channel firms to understand that you cannot have security as part of your portfolio. Yeah, and there's there's a lot that goes into that. You know, again, client expectations are rising, and I think clients' technical knowledge is rising, and I think that leads to a lot of opportunity. Uh, you know, I think that leads to some of these things that you mentioned that like when you're, when you are building your own IP and you build these processes or, or you come up with, with ways that are either repeatable across all of your, your customers, or you, you figure out how to actually customize across all your customers. Th- those things are really high value right now. Th- those are becoming the things that are high value. And so even though the questions might be getting a little tougher, um, being able to answer those questions um, is is um, a good business strategy. It is. Another. What, do we want to talk about soft skills? Uh, yeah, we could uh, talk about that a little bit. I mean, that's been uh, something that we've covered quite a bit within CompTIA, uh, but we we highlighted it specifically here this year. We did. I think it's important, and we don't have to spend too much time on it. But I, I think one of the things going forward, since we're talking about the year of not normal and we need flexibility. And with that comes a reliance, I think, on new skills. And and one of them for technology professionals and those in the channel, frankly, is the ability to not only specialize in your technical area, but to have those business skills that are um, really becoming more and more important in, um, in various scenarios. And we use the term soft skills. I'm told that that is an out derogatory in some way because we're something, it doesn't, so there's hard skills and soft skills, but professional skills, whatever you wanna call them, but your ability to lead, your ability to communicate, your ability to collaborate, your ability to run things uh, that as opposed to simply your ability to code or your ability to fix a router, you know, um, those things are increasingly what we talk about when somebody is a good hire or we're trying to fill a skill in this area. And I don't think that's going away. So it's something that uh, needs to be taught or it is already an integral to somebody's personality, but these are not skills um, that should be taken lightly. Right, and and you kind of pointed it out that these are, 
skills that tie into the way that the business is, is running and they're becoming more important because IT is becoming more strategic. We've talked about that. We've talked about the division between tactical IT and strategic IT and the shift that's happening there. And, and because it's becoming more strategic, then companies are looking to their technology professionals and their technology partners to really participate in these discussions and not just provide the technology, but guide the company on how technology can help the business meet its objectives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are, those are a few of the trends that we have. Um, check out the, the full report for all 10 of them. Um, but then I think we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about our individual sections. And again, this reflects the same thing that we did last year where uh, we really focused here on the two of the primary audiences that CompTIA serves, which is IT professionals and these channel firms. And in, in, the, in the IT pro section, one thing that I dug into a little bit extra this year was the budget side of things. And I, I know you did this as well on, on the channel side, but th- this is a very common question, right? Is what's happening to IT budgets and what's been happening? And I think that's been a complicated scenario for a few years now as we've had this transition between tactical and strategic IT. And so the amount that you spend might actually want to change in some way as you're doing that shift. And it might also spread throughout the organization a little bit more. And it might be kind of hard to look at the overall technology budget versus the budget of the IT department. Um, But kind of leaving aside some of those complications, when we were looking at the budgets for this year and when, when people in the survey told us what they were expecting, maybe kind of a good news, bad news thing. You know, the good news is it doesn't look like a lot of cuts are coming. Uh, the bad news is it doesn't look like there's going to be a lot of growth in the budget either, which, which I think can be a big challenge, again, as companies are trying to rebuild themselves into something new for the future. You know, that something new is going to require technology investment. Uh, and, and so even keeping budgets flat might present a bit of a challenge to those people that are trying to build the technology. But I, I would say it's there's some good news in there that people aren't continuing to cut the budget, that, that they're thinking that they're whole enough, that they at least understand the situation well enough that they are not cutting that budget any further. Yeah, it's similar on the channel side. Uh, I would describe the attitude about budgets as cautiously optimistic. Um, a lot of channel firms are staying flat with, with their budgets for at least the projections for 2021. And those are probably based a lot on their customers. So, you know, it's like, are my customers going to spend? Because one of the issues is that the channel firms are seeing customers pull back. So then they have to, you know, uh, re-architect their own budgets uh, to reflect that. Um, but and there are still some, as I said, cautiously optimistic. There are still a, a certain percentage, about a quarter of channel firms, who at least say their budgets might be somewhat higher um, going into next year. But um, there are there are another 17% that said that they're going to be lower, and that's higher than we've seen in the past. Um, but the bulk are trying to just hold steady for now. And as you said, budgets can be a moving target. You can change them. They don't, you know, so if something uh, wonderful happens in the, the next few months, you know, a lot of these companies may decide, oh, well, we can spend again. Um, but um, for the most part, I was, I was happy to see the numbers that I saw that companies are not just jumping off, off a ship, you know, they, they, they're, 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 you know, all right, 
this is a tough time. We don't know when the end happens. We don't know what our customers are going to be doing yet, but we're going to hold steady at the moment. And I find that encouraging. And again, I think we've already talked about this before, but there are some segments of the channel universe who have been able to find opportunity and benefit uh, in some of the things that have gone on, uh, including the move to remote work. And I know we're going to talk about that and already have, um, but it's, it's made a difference for some in the managed services space who have been able to, um, to definitely pivot to tending to that phenomenon that's gone on um, who, you know, a lot of companies who have had to now uh, deal with individual workers who used to go to an office who are not. So they probably have budgeted uh, for that to be a continuing thing, at least in the first half of next year. But, you know, overall, like I said, cautious optimism. The customer piece there that you've mentioned a couple times now is is the piece out of your channel section that kind of jumped out to me, looking at the number of channel firms that felt like their best opportunity for growth in the coming year was working with their existing customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think we've probably seen that data point kind of consistently over the past few years, but I think this year it kind of took on a different flavor for me at least thinking that, you know, these channel firms don't feel like their existing customers are tapped out, that they, they see a lot of opportunity there as their customers are going through digital transformation or trying to accelerate their cloud adoption or whatever it might be. Uh, and, and I found that kind of, kind of interesting that, you know, even coming out of this time and maybe trying to put all the pieces back together, that there wasn't maybe even more emphasis on, I need to expand, I need to find new customers, I need to you know, get into a new vertical. All of those things are still in the mix, but the primary thing was still working with existing customers and, and trying to help them in their digital journey, whatever that might look like. Yeah, no, I think there's a bit of a circle the wagons going on here. All right, we already have these customers. Let's double down on taking care of them as best we can. And that may mean upselling them if you're an MSP, expanding the number of services that you offer them. And uh, it, this makes a lot of sense. It's a big jump in the data actually this year. Uh, of course, companies are still trying to reach new customers if they can. But I think what we've been facing for the last year and with an uncertain future, uh, if you still own a customer, um, you are looking to them to drive some revenue for you. And I, I think it actually, the dynamic makes perfect sense to me, but you know, there are other things that channel firms are trying to do, you know, between finding those new customers and also cost cutting and kind of tightening their belts on the inside and being more efficient. But I, I, I do believe that existing customers, they're spending a lot of love on them right now. Well, as I've said a couple times leading up to this, you know, nobody had in their trends for last year that we were about to go into a global pandemic. So oh, if we had, we'd be like uh, Nostradamus, right? We would be. Yeah. Um, but we weren't. So <laughs> um, as always, I think we, we feel like we've got our finger on the pulse of, of the way the industry is going. Uh, there's, there's a lot more in the report to unpack, but We'll leave that exercise up to the reader. Uh, we, you know, we've got all the trends in there. We've got a call-out box on a few buzzwords that we expect people are going to be hearing more throughout the year. We've got our commentary on some projections for industry growth uh, coming from the outside. So there, there's quite a bit in the report, and uh, I really encourage people to to check it out. Yeah, 
definitely. It is a labor of love as we <laughs> do every year. And, um, and then actually next week, or not next week, but next episode, um, you would kind of mention this. I, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about some things that didn't really go in the report, uh, but just some thoughts that we're having as we're wrapping up the year and, and heading in, into next year. So, so yeah, I'd encourage people to definitely tune into the next episode to hear a continuation of this conversation, specifically looking at some of the pieces that uh, we might keep and some of the pieces that we might not keep as, as COVID and the pandemic begin to be less and less of a thing at some point in the future. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the post-pandemic world and hopefully the post-pandemic world happens sooner rather than later, but how it impacts the things that we've had to change from a, a technology and work perspective over the last, what, nine months now, 10 months now, you know, what stays, what goes, what changes. Uh, yeah. I, I think it'll be a good discussion. Well, congratulations, my friend, on another outstanding project. Yes, very happy. It's good to get it, get it done and out there. So please read it, everybody. <laughs> yes, yes, please do. Right. And I, I hope, uh, Carolyn, that you have a very calm weekend. I'm looking for it. Peaceful, calm. Can't meditate though. You know that. No, no, don't, don't try that. I'll leave that to me. So. <laughs> you do that for me, Mr. Okay. Zen. All right. Have a good All one, right. buddy. You too.